Thank you, praise team. Give them a big round of applause. They do a great job. Appreciate them and, and their ministry. Hey, it's good to be back. You know, it's, it's been two weeks since I've preached. That means I've got uh, two weeks worth of sermons built up inside. We may not get out of here today. How's that? Oh, yeah, yeah you, you're, you, I, you ought to be afraid. It's what you ought to be. Uh, if, if someone were to ask me, what, what is one of, if not the key for a, a long, happy, and great marriage? I would have to say that one of the biggest things is communication between you and your spouse, all right? You've got to talk. And I, I, I don't mean argue and fight, all right? It's not what I'm talking about. You need to be able to communicate with them effectively throughout the day. And along with that, there, there can be no blockage in that communication, Okay, there can't be any secrets. You have to have an open relationship. You, you can't allow feuding and fighting. In fact, the Bible tells us if, if there is a feud going on between a husband and a wife, before you go to bed that night, you need to get that thing straightened out. Okay? So the open relationship and the great communication is one of the keys in having a, a wonderful marriage. Uh, Angie and I have been married 36 years, and every single day in these past 36 years, we've had conversations. We've talked to each other. And I was, I was standing there trying to, to remember and think, I believe, and, and I may be incorrect about this, I believe that every single day in those 36 years, we have told each other that we loved each other. And I tell her that multiple times a day. God, I'm the luckiest man in the whole USA. Yeah. Because I have Angie as my wife. And, and so I tell her that I love her. So the key is communication. Now, I'm not going to preach about marriage this morning. All right? But I am going to talk to you about communication. And not with your spouse. What I'm talking about is communication with God. If there is one key ingredient in being a great believer, a wonderful follower of Christ, and having an awesome relationship with the Heavenly Father... The key is prayer. We need to learn how to pray. And, and, and I tell you what, I know that prayer is essential in my life. I know that I need to pray, but I can tell you with all honesty, one of the spiritual disciplines that I have struggled with my entire Christian life is prayer. I mean, prayer's hard. It's difficult. And the disciples realized how difficult it was, and one day they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Lord, teach us how to pray. And the Lord does. In fact, that's point number one. Jesus teaches us to pray. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. And if you write in your Bibles, you know that uh, back in March of this year, I preached from Luke chapter 11, but... I'm doing the parables of Jesus in Luke, and, and I couldn't let this parable go. So today I want to revisit Luke chapter 11. Uh, it's the model prayer, and we're going to mention the model prayer today. But really what we want to get to is this parable that Jesus told about praying and how to pray to God. It all begins in verse number 1. Now it came to pass when he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. 
to pray. Now, you've got to see the situation going on here. Here is one of the followers of Jesus, one of his disciples, one of the 12. And these guys live with Jesus. I mean, for three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they were with Jesus. They ate together. They traveled together. They slept out under the stars together. They talked with each other. These guys, for three years, watched and viewed the ministry of Jesus. They learned from Jesus. And here they are asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that's magnificent, but you know what? I don't know if I would have asked Jesus for that request. Because if I would have been there and I would have seen what these guys saw, I would have said, Jesus, would you give me a little bit of what you got in performing miracles? Because Jesus had power in performing miracles. Angie alluded to that a while ago. These guys had seen Jesus touch blind eyes so that they could see. They saw Jesus say the word and lame people were able to walk. They were in the crowd with Jesus when that lady who had had an issue of blood for 12 years, she had been bleeding internally forever, touched the very hem of Jesus' garment and Jesus froze and asked the disciples, who just touched me? They said, well, Jesus, people are rubbing into you all over. There's hundreds of people here. We don't know who to. Jesus said, somebody touched me because power has gone out of my life. And they saw this lady being healed. It was amazing. They, they saw it all. And if I would have been one of the disciples, I would have been saying, Jesus, teach me how to do that. <laughs> I want a little bit of that. Yeah. Do you know that Jesus was the best communicator who's ever lived? And I would have loved to have been able to sit there and listen to Jesus speak. I, I don't know what it was about Jesus. I don't know if it was his voice, his diction, his vocabulary, his compassion. I don't know what it was. But Jesus was the most effective communicator who's ever lived. Whether it was a one-on-one -on -one relationship in one-on-one -on -one conversation or a small group that he was speaking to or a massive crowd of over 5,000 people, Jesus could captivate audiences. He was a great communicator. And just from where I come from and where I live and what I do, I would have been one of the disciples. Jesus, teach me to preach. Teach me how to do that. Because I am a preacher. And I have to communicate the gospel to people. And, and I realize the, the, the <laughs> inability inside of me to do that effectively. You know? And, and I know I'm on the tail end of my ministry here, but I'm still wanting to become a good preacher. And I'm, I'm taking a, line on, a course online right now to be an effective preacher, a better preacher. Twelve steps to be a better preacher. <laughs> Apparently it's not doing any good right now. I don't, I don't know. I'm on step one. I've had to review step one two or three times already, you know. But I would have been one of the guys who said, Jesus, teach me how to preach. Give me these 12 steps to be a more effective communicator. But it's mind-boggling. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do miracles or how to preach or anything else. What they did ask him is, Jesus, teach us to pray. 
And I don't know, it just may be a theory, but I kind of think these disciples had gotten to the point where they saw in Jesus something they didn't have. And maybe they realized that the secret of his power to perform miracles or to be able to communicate effectively came through his prayer life. And so they asked him, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus taught them to pray. He taught them to pray through his example and by his own experience. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus was a man of prayer. He depended on the strength that God gave him through prayer. And the Bible says on numerous occasions that Jesus would would kind of, he would get alone with God. He would go to a solitary place and spend hours in prayer to God. It was his custom. Matter of fact, this very passage tells us that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And the disciples watched him as he prayed. And they knew that Jesus had a power that he received through prayer that they were missing in their own life. And so Jesus prayed alone, but he also prayed in the presence of other people. Jesus also prayed in crisis moments of his life. Now, for some of us, that's the only time we do pray. You know, when our world shakes and falls apart and we're in a crisis and we go to God in prayer. Jesus did pray in crisis moments. I know the Bible tells us that for 40 days before his earthly ministry began, he fasted and he prayed in the desert. And he asked God to give him the power that he needed to perform his, his earthly ministry. Jesus prayed before he made important decisions. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says he prayed and asked God to give him wisdom in choosing the 12 disciples. Jesus also prayed in small groups. In fact, his his favorite group to call together was Peter, James, and John. And he took Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they prayed together. He took Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane, and they prayed together. My lens, Jesus Christ even prayed when he was hanging on the cross bearing the sin of the world. Jesus was a man of prayer. Just knowing this about our Lord should deepen our own hunger and our thirst for being people of prayer. And it should inspire us to have that kind of intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father that Jesus had. And so Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord teaches them to pray by his example and also through his instruction. And he does the same thing for us today. We have his example in the Word of God, and today we are reading his instructions on how to pray. Look at verse number two. So he said to them in response to that question, when you pray, say. And with that, Jesus teaches us what to pray. All right? Not only does he teach us to pray, he gives us specifically what to pray for. Notice that Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. We on the same boat right here, huh? When you pray, And then he gives us the model prayer. I'm going to read this model prayer to you. It appears in in the other Gospels in different form. This is Luke's version of the model prayer. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is the model prayer. Now, there are some who have the opinion that that is the prayer we need to be praying, that we need to memorize the model prayer and use that as our prayer. And and let me say, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I find myself numerous times repeating the model prayer in my prayer to God. But I think bigger picture, Jesus is just giving us this as a model, as an outline. He is saying to us, when you pray, Include these things, these categories, into your prayer life. Another thing I want you to get about this, this model prayer is all about God, all right? Talking to God, communicating to God. Now, that's all we're going to say about the model prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray and what to pray, but now we come to point number three. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, I'm sure these disciples wondered when Jesus gave them the model prayer, how can we be so bold to pray like that? How can we be so bold as to ask God for his name to be hollowed and for his kingdom to come? How can we be so bold in asking God to provide our daily needs? And how can we be so bold to ask God to lead us and forgive us? So in response to that, Jesus tells this parable about boldness and confidence when we pray. Are you with me? So I've I've gone all this way so far to get to this parable, all right? And he told them a parable. Here it is. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and the cupboard is bare. I don't have anything to give him. And he will answer you from inside of his house and say, do not trouble me. Go away. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot or I will not get up and give you anything to eat. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. Other translations use the word boldness. The word actually means a shameless begging. Because he will not give to him just because he is his friend, yet because of his boldness, his persistence, he will rise and not only give him three loaves of bread, but anything else that will get him out of there. That's my interpretation of that, all right? So that is his parable. And and notice that Jesus starts this story by saying, which of you? That's the way Jesus began most of his parables. Which of you? It it really was just a life story. That's what parables are. They're life stories. They're earthly stories that teach us a heavenly truth. 
And so when he says, which of you, it, it related to everyone there. Everyone there could visualize this story. It's something that was very common in their day. And here's the story, the parable, or the scenario. Here's, here's this one guy lives in a, a small village, and late at night, a friend of his comes knocking on his door. This friend is traveling through, and he has no lodging place for the night because back then, they didn't have Motel 6 or a Hilton Garden Inn or any other place to stay. And so people would stay at other people's homes when they traveled. And, and this guy was not a stranger. He was an actual friend of his. He knew him. And so he came to his house and said, hey, I, I need a, a place to crash for tonight. And his friend said, sure, come on in. And then he realized, well, you know, the guy's been traveling all day. He's, he's probably hungry, and I don't have anything to feed him because his family had eaten all his food during that day. And so he runs next door to his next door neighbor's home, and in the middle of the night, he starts banging on his neighbor's door. Now let me just do a little time out here. I've been pastoring for about 36 years now, and anytime I get a phone call or a knock on my front door during the middle of the night, I know it ain't good, okay? It's not good. Something bad has happened, and they're calling the preacher, okay? I know that. Now, if somebody comes and knocks on your door at midnight, you know something bad has happened. There is an emergency, down the street. Your, your neighbor needs help. And so, you know, you would probably be willing to help your neighbor unless you got a feud going on with them. That's another sermon, all right? You would probably be willing to help them in an emergency situation, wouldn't you? If you would be willing to help your neighbor in an emergency situation at midnight, raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you, y'all are just, the rest of you are just grumpy, mean people, all right? All right? Yeah, just like that. It's just exactly like that. So he said, he said no. I am, there's no way I am going to get up and answer that door because you're knocking on it. I'm, I'm not going to give you the bread. I'm not going to do that. Because it was late at night. He had already shut his house down. Now, let me tell you what a home looked like in ancient Palestine when Jesus told this story. It's a one bedroom, a one-room home. And during the day, they would do their work in that home. At nighttime, they would push all the furniture to the side, and they would sleep on the floor with either a blanket or a mattress, the husband, wife, all the kids. Some biblical scholars even think that they would partition off part of the house, and if they had a, a cow or a donkey or, or, or some other livestock animal, the animal would stay in the house with them at night as well. That, that lends for a peaceful night's sleep, doesn't it? <laughs> to have the family donkey in there with you, right? <laughs> I don't know if that was the case in this house, but I do know this man had already shut the door, barred the door, locked the door, and his entire family was asleep on the floor. And here's this guy, here's this neighbor knocking on his door, waking him up. Friend of mine has come. I don't have any food. I need three loaves. And what does the guy on the inside say? That's your problem, not mine. Go away. Leave me alone. 
And even though you might help your neighbor in an emergency situation, if it's not, if, if they're just wanting a loaf of bread, are you going to get up and give it to them? Are you, is it going to tick you off and say, go back to your own house and go to bed? That's what this guy said. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to help you. Period. Well, the guy on the outside who needed the three loaves would not take no for an answer. So you know what he did? He kept on knocking. Harder and harder. He shouted louder and louder. He didn't care if he woke the entire village up. He was not going to take no for an answer. And that really is the point of Jesus' parable. When we pray, we need to pray like that. We need to continue to come before God and not take no for an answer. We just keep praying. We keep asking. We are to be bold. Say bold with me. One, two, three. We need to be bold in our praying. I I want you to look at verse number 8 again. This is actually out of the old NIV version. They, they, the first version is like 1984. They've changed it since then, and this word is no longer in it. But in 1984 NIV, it's the word boldness. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's... Boldness. Say it again. Boldness. I'm not going to go on until everybody says it. Boldness. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Persistence. It's the way the New King James translates it. In the old version, it is the word importunity. <laughs> we don't use that word anymore. It's boldness. A shameless begging. The guy is not going to take no for an answer, so he keeps beating on the door. He's saying, No matter how ridiculous I may look out here shouting and beating on this door, I'm not going away until you open the door and give me what I'm asking for. Now, you may be wondering, why in the world would Jesus compare our Heavenly Father with this grumpy, selfish neighbor who refuses to get up and give the bread? Because... That's the point of the whole parable, all right? Jesus is likening the heavenly father to this man who's already shut the door on the inside of this house. And you might be saying, well, why is Jesus doing that? Because God's not like that, is he? And I tell you, he's not like that. This really is what they call a contrasting parable. The idea here is not that God is like the man in the house. No, the idea is that Jesus is totally opposite of that man in the house. That man in the house said, you know what? You may be my friend and you may be my neighbor, but you're asking a little bit too much. You're stretching the limits of our relationship by asking me this so boldly. But because of your boldness... I'm going to give you everything you ask for and even more. And that is the point of Jesus' parable. The point here is that if that stingy, grumpy neighbor is that way, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father respond to us when we ask Him in boldness? Does that make sense? Well, you know what you ought to be doing? Saying, amen, amen, Amen. 
And notice that the friend will not just give his neighbor the bare minimum. What was he asking for? Three loaves. He says here that he will give him as much as he needs. He'll give him five loaves and butter and jam to go with it. Because of the boldness in asking. Now, Jesus pulls out the application of this parable about bold praying. And that's what I want to end with. What bold praying actually looks like, all right? So here it is. Bold praying is praying persistently. Persistently. You keep knocking. You keep asking. You keep seeking. Look at verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks... The door will be open. Jesus uses three words to describe the activity of bold praying. Ask, seek, and knock. And the tenses of these verbs mean keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And on top of that, with these three words, Jesus describes the process of getting increasingly closer to God and pressing in on a greater relationship with God. You keep on asking and you draw closer to God. You keep on seeking and that gets you closer to God. You keep on knocking and you draw closer to the Lord. Persistence in prayer will prevail. When nothing else will, you just keep on asking. Here, let me say it in these terms. I've discovered in my life that sometimes God just wants to see how badly I really want that thing or need that thing and how persistent I am. Is it just a whim? Or is it something I really desire? Is it a heart's desire? Because if I really seek this thing, I'm going to keep praying about it. I'm going to keep asking God about it. Day after day, week after week, and yes, even sometimes years after, year after year. So what does bold praying look like? Well, it's persistent praying. Number two, bold praying is praying specifically. We are to ask specifically. Why? Because God answers specifically. Look at verses 11 and 12. Which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg... Will he give him a scorpion? When we pray specifically, God answers specifically. Go back up to this man in the parable. When he knocked on his neighbor's door, he didn't say, please help me and provide for my friend. No. He said, give me three loaves. Specifically, three loaves. And here in verses 11 and 12, Jesus draws another analogy between a child asking his father for certain things, and the son expecting that the father, because the father loves him, is going to provide exactly what the son is asking for, giving specifically what he asked for. So if he asks for a fish, the son knows, daddy loves me and he's not going to give me a, a snake instead, and if he asks for an egg, he knows his daddy loves him and is not going to give him a scorpion. Now, does all of this mean that we're always going to get everything that we ask God for? I ask you again. 
Does this mean that we're always going to get everything we ask for? Certainly not. In fact, the Bible is full of examples of godly people praying specifically for certain things and God not granting that request. God not giving them what they ask for. I could give you dozens of illustrations. One that comes to the top of my head is, is Paul the Apostle. There was not a greater missionary than Paul. I mean, he walked close with Jesus, right? And three times, Paul asked the Lord to cure him of whatever disease it was. It was a thorn in the flesh. Some believe that it was, it was problems he had with his eyesight. But he prayed three specific times that God take that away. And God said, no, all three times. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, here's what I do know. When this life is over and we get a chance to look back over the landscape of our own life and, and we get to look at all the things that we asked for and we see all those times we prayed and asked God to give us something specific and, and God didn't answer that prayer and he didn't give us what we asked for, I, I think we're going to be able to look back and say, you know what, that was okay because I really didn't need that thing in the first place. That would have been harmful for me. It would have been bad for me. Or we can look back and say, you know what? I'm so glad God didn't give me that, what I was asking for, but instead he gave me something so much better. Are you with me? I mentioned me and my babe been married 36 years. Let me tell you, back up and tell you a little, another little story. We just got off family vacation. We were down in Florida for a week with, with all the kids. Uh, Tyler, Whitney, Ella Jane, Callie Zane, we're all there. The first night that we got there, I sat everybody down and, and, and I welcomed them to the family vacation. I said, you know, I'm glad you were able to come to the family vacation. I got, I got some rules that we're going to live by this week. Okay? I've never done this at a family vacation, but I, I said, there's, there's some rules. First rule is have fun. Capital F, capital U, capital N. Have fun. We, we want to have fun. That's what a vacation's for, right, Gary? Have fun. Number two, I think it's number two, is, is uh, no mean words. No mean words. You know, because my kids, I don't. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do your kids know the buttons they can push? To kind of get things started. And I, and I knew a week would be a really long time if those buttons kept being pushed. All right? So I said, no, no, you know, none of that. We're going to be nice to each other. Rule number three is the one that just, just, I know my kids. I said, if you make a mess, you pick up your mess. You pick up your own stuff. You keep this, you keep this place clean. Is that too much to ask for? Rule number four, tell them what I said rule number four was. Be nice to your mama. Nice to your mama. <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you glad for mamas? Yeah. yeah. They do everything, and, and she does. She does everything for those kids. Be nice to your mama. And then I want you to say this real loud. What was my last rule? Tell them what the last rule was. Hakuna Matata. No worries. Hakuna Matata. Say that with me. One, two, three. Hakuna Matata. And then I said, okay, 
We're going to have a devotion every night. I'm going to start it with this first night, and then I assigned each night for a different kid to give a devotion. And that was just so sweet. It really was. I, I I anticipated all day what my kids were going to give in their devotion, including my son-in-law, Tyler. And it, was, it, was, it was enriching. Kenan, it, was, it blessed my soul, man. And the last night, I capped it off with my final devotion, and I talked to my kids about God's will. Because really, that, to me, that's the most important thing for my kids, is that they follow God and they do His will in their life. Number one is that you be saved. That's God's will for everybody, is to be saved. And I've told them this all their life. When, when, when this life is over with and I get into heaven more than anything else, I want to be able to see you there. So whatever it takes for you to get to heaven, you make sure you're in heaven. And I said, guys, God's got a will for your life, a specific task that he created you to do. And you need to figure out what that is and you need to flesh it out. It's not always easy doing God's will. Sometimes it's difficult to do God's will, but it's the most fulfilling thing that you find God's will. And I said, you know what? Uh, Who you marry is an important part of that. You got to marry the right person. And then you got to flesh it out and and do the will of God. And I told him a little story. I said, Zane, I was about your age. I was, uh, you know, 18, 19 years old. And and I had a girlfriend back home. She'd been my high school sweetheart. Uh, And uh, I just knew that she was going to be my wife. In fact, I'd given her a promise ring. Okay. And I, pr- I, pr- I prayed every day, Lord, just bless, I'm not going to say her name, bless me and this girl. And the, when I was telling the story, I couldn't even remember her name to my kids, but I do know what her name was. I said, Lord, bless us, because I just, I knew it was God's will for this girl and I to be married and to spend the rest of her life. And I, love, I thought I loved her so much, and, you know, I thought it was going to be great. And, and I'd pray every day, Lord, make sure that this happens, and blah, blah, blah. I went to Hillsdale about a month into it. She sent me a Dear Will letter. I mean, I'd been dating this girl for, what, three years? Giving her a promise ring. And she broke up with me. And I was heartbroken. I moped around for two weeks. It is a long time, isn't it? I don't know. It was probably longer than that. I was devastated. I really was. I was absolutely devastated. How am I going to live the rest of my life without her? Oh, God. I wrote her. I begged her. I pleaded with her. You know what? I don't have to wait till the end of my life. I can look back right now. That's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because God had somebody better for me. He had my, li- my little lady from Corning, Arkansas. And I told my kids, you know what, kids? If, if I would have married that other girl, none of you would even be here. <laughs> isn't, isn't that true? None, none of you guys would even be here. Sometimes God says no because he's got something better for us. So you pray boldly and you pray specifically. You pray persistently and finally... Bold praying is praying expectantly. Look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you are a parent or have been a parent and still are a parent. Just how many things in a day's time do our kids ask for? 
I mean, even when they're 26 years old, how, how many things do they ask for in a day? And let's say you have an, an infant and that little baby starts crying. Again, we spent one week in, in this, this condo with the, all the kids, including baby Ella Jane. She's such a good baby. Very seldom cries. Let me tell you, she, she's so tiny, but she eats anything you put in front of her. And she's eating real food. And the only time Ella Jane that I know of cries is when the meal is over with and there's no more food. <laughs> and she, she cries when she's hungry. And, and let me tell you, when she cries, Whitney and Tyler, they, they jump. Man, they're just right there. And this past week, it was not just Whitney and Tyler. It was Lolo jumping in there. And even old Poe jumping in there. When a little baby cries and, and they're hungry, mom and dad are moved to action. And, and the baby is completely confident that their parents are going to give them a bottle of milk and not drain cleaner. Right? Because we love them. And we're going to give them what is good for them, not what is bad for them. And you never have to be afraid of the answers that God gives to your prayers, even if it is not what you're asking for. You know why? Because whatever he gives is going to be good. It's going to be the right thing for you. And, and that is because it's not the what that he gives. It is the who that he gives. Because every time he answers your prayer, he is giving you more of himself. Amen. In fact, in this very prayer, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, what? all you have to do is ask the Heavenly Father. And he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. In fact, read it again with me. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? It was 1886. Hudson Taylor was taking his family to inland China. He was going to 11 provinces in China who had never had a missionary before. And his friends, the people of his own church said, please, Hudson, reconsider. It's, it's going to be very dangerous for you. It's, it's going to be very dangerous for your family and for your kids. I love what he said back to them. He said, you know what, you're right. I am taking my children with me. And I noticed that it is not difficult for me as their father to remember that these little ones need breakfast every morning. And so I feed them every morning. And it's not difficult for me as their father to, to remember that about noon they need to be fed again, and so I feed them. And it is not difficult me, for me, because I am their father, to before I put them to bed to remember that they need food again, and I feed them. Indeed, I couldn't forget that. And I find it impossible to suppose that our heavenly father is less tender or less mindful than I am. Let that soak in a little bit. Because you know what that's saying, church? God knows exactly what you need. 
And God is not like that grumpy neighbor who says, go away. God loves you because you're his. And if God already knows what you need, he is just waiting for you to ask. So would you do that this morning? It could be that you're here and and there is something specific that you need in your life. Don't miss this opportunity to come to the altar and pray and ask God for it. We'll, We'll help you pray. We'll come alongside of you. We'll pray with you about it. Maybe you're here this morning, you, you realize, you know what, I don't have this communication with God in my life because I'm not a believer. Well, it's pretty easy to become one. God makes it easy. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit the fact that you're a sinner. B, believe that only Jesus can save you. And C, confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Would you do that today? Maybe you're like one of these disciples and, and realize, you know what, I know prayer is so important And it's not really a discipline in my life. And today you want to come and ask God, Lord, teach me to pray. He's here. He'll answer. But you've got to ask.